Once upon a time, there was a young basketball player who had dreams of becoming one of the greatest basketball players of all time. If you have the opportunity to go to the NBA and play against the greatest players in the world, that doesn't get you going, I don't think anything will. It's like a dream come true. I, I couldn't even dream of this when I was a kid, you know, it's just no way possible. It's just, you know, just a blessing from above. The joy of the game uh, comes from just being out there and just playing. The competitive side of me uh, feels like we can win every game that we play. What I've learned is to, to, to always keep going. Do you love the process? that gets you to that, those boring, agonizing moments. If you love that, then you know you found something that's really true to you. You know, if you do the work, you work hard enough, dreams come true. Those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway, that is actually the dream. Welcome on in to the Tony Parks podcast here today. Tony Parks with you. Back to school for a number of the kids out there in a very unique and scary time. So I hope all your kids can be safe while uh, growing their minds. Also, big thanks to the teachers and everyone in the industry, by the way, of education for their incredible work and hard work to give their best efforts to do their jobs, you know, while maintaining a safe environment. Uh, Speaking of a safe environment, you're going to like the experience of the three-on-three basketball games that are set for September 26th through October 24th. Go to peak3on3basketball.com. See why Farmington City has the perfect situation for your child uh, to enjoy competing in the game of basketball in a three-on-three setting. It's for kids that are grades uh, uh, three through 12. Uh, Your kids get eight games over the course of four Saturdays. Uh, They'll take UBA weekend off, so uh, give you a break there. And if your kids are already uh, set with something going on during the daytime, during Saturdays in the fall, no worries about that. These games are going to be played kind of in the afternoon and the evening. So go to peak3on3basketball.com for more information. Uh, I'll talk about it more here in just a moment. Uh, As I mentioned, Sunday was the birthday of Kobe Bryant. He would have been 42 years old. 824 is known as Kobe Bryant Day. And that is the morning that I have recorded this podcast. And that will bring a lot of fond memories uh, about one of the game's greatest players. Uh, So today's episode is like, an entire version of lifting the curtain. I hope you really enjoy it. I'm going to try to give you some insight about what it was like to be around him uh, in a competitive setting and behind the scenes a little bit and all of that. It was really, really special uh, to be around. So I wanted to share my experiences of Kobe Bryant, what I witnessed uh, that probably people didn't expect, um, and then kind of what I learned from him because I think everybody can uh, learn something from a guy who was as great as Kobe Bryant, uh, not just as uh, as great as he was at basketball, but also as a teammate. So I wasn't around him as much as, say, one of the Lakers reporters or broadcasters, but I was around him a lot uh, doing road locker rooms for plenty of years. Many of you may not know this, but when the Jazz would have a game, I would be the reporter for the Jazz station in the opposing team's locker room. So that was always tough to explain sometimes to PR Like, I'm with the Jazz radio station, but I'm reporting on your locker room. Um, So I actually really like doing it. One of my favorite things I've ever done. I had a chance to get familiar with a number of players after seeing them multiple times uh, throughout the year. 
Uh, it's one of the reasons why I was pretty familiar with Mike Conley, even before he uh, became a member of the Jazz. Uh, I liked getting a feel for how different locker rooms were across the league. You got to see a number of different leaders, different coaches, you know, different cultures. I, it was one of my favorite things I ever did. Yeah, like I said before, it was it was really great. And I used to have a lot of fun when I would check my mic before coming on the air. Like I was, I, I always had fun with certain superstitions, and this was one of them. So I'd hear like Ben Bagley come in my IFB in my ear and say, you know, locker room mic check, and he would say jazz locker room mic check. And the engineer would be like, all right, got you, Ben. And then they would wait to hear from me. And I'd come over the mic and say, losing locker room, mic check. Just for fun. Just for fun. Just for superstition. Just in hopes that the Jazz could pull off the win. So I'd do pregame reports. I would do, you know, any injury reports, uh, postgame interviews. I really enjoyed it. Now, the first game I ever did the locker rooms for was the Lakers. It was in January of 2004, which we all know was a very crazy time in the world of Kobe Bryant. Uh, he had been missing some games with his trial, and this was the first game he was back in a couple of weeks. I forget exactly how uh, the timeline set up, but I want to say it was like his first game back for a little while. And I got the call to head to the arena to do the locker rooms that night, but I was I was going to be shadowing because they were setting me up to eventually kind of take on that role on occasion. So I get the phone call, go to the arena as soon as you can. I wasn't going to make it on time for the game at the start, but I could get there eventually and then be there to shadow the post game. So I'm hustling there. I'm totally excited to do this. I've never done it before. I'd only done kind of shoot arounds and practices up to that point. So here was the problem though. I don't have a credential and nobody has any idea who I am or who I work for or anything like that. So I had to park like a half a mile away from the arena, maybe even a mile. I run to the arena uh, down the ramp where the player's parking lot happens to be. I get a visitor's badge and, and I'm in, right? So I have no idea where I'm going because I've never been on that level of the arena during a game night. So now I've got to figure out, like, okay, this is where this locker room is. That's where that locker room is. Okay, this is where the media room is. I'm just trying to kind of figure out where everything is. So one of the things I was told to do, hurry, get there, find Kim Turner. So I'm like, all right, I'll go, I'll go find Kim Turner, and she'll help me out, right? So... Um, Kim Turner was involved in public relations. So I thought, okay, great. I'm going to get to the media room and I'm going to find Kim Turner. So I'm in the media room and I'm walking around. I don't look familiar to anyone. So it's really uncomfortable. I'm, you know, 21 years old at the time. I'm confident in my abilities to perform the job. I'm confident once I know where everything is that, you know, I can do what I know how to do correctly, but I just don't know the who, the where, all of that stuff. So I find this guy walking around the media room. I just find somebody, and I, I forget why I picked this guy out, but I say, hey, I, I am so sorry. I've got to start somewhere on this, but I'm looking for Kim Turner. Do you know where I can find her? And the guy right next to him gets all pissed off. I mean all pissed off and goes, yeah, I'm Kim Turner. I had no idea Kim Turner was a dude. Like, no, no idea. So I was totally embarrassed. I apologize. I'm so sorry. I said I said sorry probably a thousand times. At, on, on one side, I feel bad, yes. And on another side of it, like, easy mistake. It's not the first time it's happened to you. So on all the shows I hosted, we had a lot of fun with me misidentifying boys and girls, like uh, doing the um, introduction of the Little League teams because there was once a, a little boy that looked very much like a girl and I referred to him as a girl. And, well, then the coach 
had to inform me, and the little kid very rudely informed me uh, that he was a boy. My bad. So anyway, Kim Turner's all pissed off at me. So now I, I mean, I'm already off to a rough start here. So I get to my position on media row. I watch the game. Lakers beat the Jazz. It was like 93 to 86. Kobe had a good game. And after the game, I'm supposed to shadow the guy who had been doing this job so that I would know how to do it whenever I was needed to fill in. So after the game, I'm standing just outside of the media scrum as they're talking with Phil Jackson. And I remember him saying something along the lines of, wow, Kobe brought that toughness uh, that this team needed on the road. And then he brought something else about like arrogance and ego. He said something along those lines that, that they've been missing that on the road. And because and, they were like, what does Kobe Bryant bring? And that was one thing he said. We needed like that arrogance, you know, when we go out there on the road. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, Kobe's probably a pretty arrogant guy. You know, he's been really successful. He's helped this organization win three championships. He's the best player on the planet. So I'm, I'm sure that comes with the arrogance that Phil is talking about. So my perception was, yeah, this guy's probably arrogant, but it's probably a critical reason why he's successful. I had this wrapped in my mind, kind of like the Michael Jordan stuff. Like, yeah, the guy's a total jerk, but that's why he wins. And there was this... Real early 2000s, late 90s, macho, tough guy attitude. You know, you have to be this arrogant jerk and step on people and be rude in order to be successful in life. And it it was always like the greatest athletes are all that way. And that was kind of the attitude that people took. And then if you weren't a jerk, then you didn't have what it takes to win. Like they used to attack Peyton Manning because Peyton Manning would be frustrated after a loss, but wouldn't be mad enough. Or like uh, Drew Brees, when he was with the Chargers, they lost a playoff game, and he was smiling afterwards while he like bro-hugged uh, the opposing quarterback. I forget who they were even playing, but I remember people being like, that's why Drew Brees will never be successful. He doesn't care enough. I mean, the stupidity and the stuff that people used to come up with during the early and mid part of that decade was just crazy, like on, on who really was the winner and who wasn't. So when the media went to talk to Kobe that night, I was too far away to hear what was being said, so I don't remember anything about his interview. Well, from that point on, I covered the visiting locker room at times while also mixing in my duties as producer and then engineered games. People don't know this. I engineered a number of games for a number of years, uh, which is one of the reasons why Hot Rod and I uh, became pretty close because I'd produce the games when he was on the road, and then I'd be right next to him a lot of times uh, during games when they were at home. So I like the idea of being able to do so many things, right? Made my nights different and unique. Felt like it gave me value to the team. And also I liked that it, it, it gave that team flexibility, our, our um, broadcast team. So if someone was sick or something crazy happened, all you had to do was move me to the vacant spot or the most needed spot, and we were covered. Like we could just shift over. It was easy. So in all of my years that I covered NBA players, and I covered a number of them, I saw all kinds of different personalities, right? I saw jerks, I saw crybabies, I saw psychopaths, I saw sociopaths, I saw good leaders, bad leaders, great teammates, bad teammates, guys that were great to interview, guys that wouldn't give you the time of day. Uh, I saw members of the PR staff that were scared to death of some players, and you could just see it and feel it. I saw some PR staff members that were fantastic to deal with. Um, It was great. I had one... PR staff member of an opposing team that I don't know how or why or whatever reason, I think he mixed me up for someone else, uh, really had it in for me. It was awkward. 
to say the least, because he could never identify why he was upset at me. Anyway, totally different deal. So while having that job, people that I knew and that I met away from the game, you know, like people at church, family members, whoever, friends, uh, they would ask me all the time about the guys that I had interviewed, you know, and the guy I got asked about the most easily, easily. And he was the same guy that surprised them the most and the answer that disappointed them the most. And the guy I'm talking about is Kobe Bryant. I'll tell you more about that in a second, but right now I want to tell you about the peak three-on-three basketball uh, games that are coming your way September 26th through October 24th. It is a great option for your kids if you're looking to be certain that you have something that's safe, fun to be a part of, has the right combination of cooperative and competitive environment. Farmington City has done a great job to make sure their facility and their operation is going to be perfect for this. Uh, I was just in Farmington this past week. Uh, Farmington High School had a football game against Syracuse, and Farmington got the win. But more than that, like that entire area, they've done a great job of trying to make sure that they can keep sports going, that they can keep good, healthy activities continuing, and see to it that they cover every safety guideline. Uh, So the three-on-three basketball uh, games that will be going on, for grades 3 through 12, teams can be as big as 6. You get a total of 8 games over the course of 4 Saturdays. So you'll have like 2 games a week, and then they'll take UEA weekend off. Um, Also, if your child is already doing something like maybe soccer this fall, most of these games are going to take place later than those games, right? Like usually soccer games will be in the uh, morning or right around noon. Um, So these games will be a little later than that. So at very least, take a look and see if it works for your family. Uh, Great value. Go to peak3on3basketball.com. Big tip of the hat to Farmington City. They've done a great job in their work on this. Uh, The Farmington City Gymnasium is perfect for this. And if you haven't been there before, you should check it out. So peak3on3basketball.com. If you tell them I sent you, uh, you can still get the early bird price after it's expired. And if you're a Farmington resident, you get 30% off. So it's going to be a fabulous value uh, for your money. So make sure to go ahead and check that out. Uh, I used to, okay, but back to Kobe Bryant. I used to tell people all the time, Kobe Bryant has an ego. And I mean a big ego. So people would be like, what's Kobe like? And then before they, I could even answer, they'd be like, he's a jerk, isn't he? He's a total jerk. He's a punk, isn't he? I know he's a jerk. Um, and every time when I would tell people, oh, yeah, he has a big ego, the response was, yeah, I knew it. See, I just knew it. You, you can just tell. But then I would drop the anchor on them. I would tell them that his ego is enormous, but he has a performance ego. It's a competitive ego when he's trying to be out there to beat his opponent. And people would be like, yeah, yeah, but he, he's a jerk, though, isn't he? And then I'd break it to him. No. No, he's not a jerk. He's freaking awesome. And you'd see the look on their face change. See, they had total affirmation. You know, they see him on TV, and he's got that scowl going on, and he's, you know, maybe arguing with somebody, or, you know, he's got that swagger happening. So they know behind the scenes he's just a total jerk. And I'd tell him, nah, he's freaking awesome. He's everything you'd want to see from a leader of a championship team. And the looks on people's faces that I would get, oh, they were stunned. They were stunned. Grown men had a tougher time with the truth I would tell them about Kobe Bryant than six-year-olds would about having the news broken to them about the big man in the red suit. I'm not kidding. Like, grown men would just be like, 
No. No. They were stunned. They thought for sure the guy they hated had to be the biggest jerk on the planet because that's the way they wanted to believe it. And that's the way they thought it happened when they watched him play. It just wasn't the case. It just wasn't the case. Then I'd really break their hearts because they'd ask me about Darren Williams, right? Who they swore up and down was the coolest guy in the world. And Darren wasn't a bad dude, but he could be really tough to deal with. Really tough. He could be moody. He could be difficult. He once told the media that his voice was gone. I remember him doing this once. He tells the media his voice is gone. Can't talk. He's like, ah, I can't talk. So the media doesn't talk to him. And I forget what it was. It was like a big regular season game uh, that, that was coming the next day. So we're at practice at the basketball facility. And then as everybody's starting to leave, he's screaming and hollering and yelling and hooping and hollering as he's out there shooting the ball and running around. I mean, that that's just... And he made sure the media saw him while he was doing that. That was just Darren sometimes. He was just like that sometimes. So there were times he was awesome too. But he wasn't the best I've dealt with, right? And for the record, we know that he looks back and wishes he'd done some things differently. So it's not like I hold this against him or I have ill will against him or that I'm so excited to tell people a negative story about Darren. It's just, no, it's just one of those little things that happen over the course of an entire year with a guy that was just, he was irritable, you know? He was edgy. He was firing competitive, but he was edgy. Um, So in the old visitor's locker room, the lockers weren't too far away from the door. Like, right, you're thinking this is an NBA locker room. This is probably huge, right? It wasn't the biggest locker room uh, with the, the building before the renovation. So you'd walk through the door, then maybe 25 feet and to the right, you would have the lockers right? A bunch of them down the left side of the room and then a handful of them to the right side of the room because on the right side of the room towards the back, it opened up to the shower area and and all of that, you know, the restrooms that were in that locker room, right? So the lockers to the right side that I'm talking about, there weren't as many of them, but they were actually a little bigger and they were usually used by the star players on the team. You'd see Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, you know, Dwight Howard, Steve Nash, all of those guys would use those locker rooms. It was kind of understood. The only star that I can remember not using those lockers was Kobe Bryant. He was it. He actually used one of the smaller lockers on the left side of the room, and his was towards the back of the room as well. So before the games, he didn't talk to the media on a, on a game day like, like at 530 uh, or what? Yeah, at five thirty when the, the the locker room would open. So he wouldn't talk to the media during that, but he spoke to the media at shoot around every single game, and it wasn't two questions. And then he'd walk past people. He didn't whine to the PR person that he would really like to be done. You know, he knew that he was in heavy demand. He would take questions for a while, and he was always a total pro, pleasant to deal with in a professional sense. Every time I dealt with him, every single time, he would say something funny. Usually he was in a pretty good mood at shoot around in most of the experiences that I can never remember before the game, though, it was different. He would sit in that locker sloped way down and he would sometimes wear this black robe and it covered most of his face, right? So like he'd just be sitting back there. You knew it was him, by the way, you just knew. 
And I just remember watching him one night. I just kind of watched him. And he had a level of focus and concentration that you could tell was deeper than what most of us could ever contemplate. He was taking his mind to a place that none of us could probably ever take ours, that we would ever understand. He didn't talk to anyone. He didn't look at anyone. He barely moved. He was absolutely putting himself in the zone, that mamba mentality, right? You could just feel it, like just looking at him. Couldn't even see his face, but just looking at him over there. The way he had like his, sometimes he would like uh, have his like elbow up on the thigh area and then a kind of a fist into the air and he'd be like gripping his fist. I remember just these small, small things. You could just feel his concentration was totally different than most people. It just, it was, it was just different. During the game, that performance ego I talked about was always on full display. It didn't matter. November 12th, you know, January 15th, game three, you name it, it was on. The intensity, the attitude, the fire in his eyes, the way he got after guys, whether it was his own guys or the other team, uh, the way he got after, you know, the, the ball, his opponents, the refs. You could tell on every possession, he didn't just want to beat you. He wanted to rip your heart out, throw it on the ground, and stomp on it. He wanted to embarrass you if he could. He would love nothing more than to embarrass you. If he was up 10, he wanted to be up 20. If he was up 20, he wanted to be up 30. If he was up 30, he wanted to be up 70. That's the way it was. Pedal down all the time. It was always about winning the next possession, the next stretch of the, of the game, the next quarter, the next night, whatever it was. He never took a possession off, like ever. And you could feel it down there on court level, being the sideline reporter, having a chance to be there. And the night I'll remember most of that is not even the one at the, you know, what was then, you know, what, Delta Center, uh, Energy Solutions Arena, Vivint Smart Home Arena. Uh, it was actually at the Staples Center. November 30th, 2006, the Jazz are playing the Lakers, TNT, 8.30 Mountain Time tip. I was sitting courtside that night with Hot Rod Hunley. And so if you ever go back, if you can ever pull up the film on YouTube or anything like that, you'll see it, um, that I'm... Uh, on the press row to the far right on the scores table, and I'm one seat in. So it goes like engineer to the far, far right, then I'm there, and then Hot Rod's there. I'm wearing a black shirt. And I remember I'm sitting there courtside that night with Hot Rod, one of the rare road games that I had worked, by the way. So Hots was a huge fan of Kobe, like huge, enormous. And Kobe was actually a big fan of Hots. I'll tell some fun stories about that another time. So that night, the Jazz are in this showdown early season and what I think is going to probably be, you know, maybe a pretty good game here. And suddenly I got to see Kobe Bryant go to a level that you just don't see very often with some of the game's greatest players or any player. He was stupid good that night. Stupid good. I couldn't believe the shots he was making. You could feel that he was about to take over the game right before the half. So he has this moment of, uh, right before the half. He's on the left side of the floor C.J. Miles is on him, takes a screen, slowly moves to the middle of the floor. He's kind of got that methodical move, right? And then suddenly, in the blink of an eye and a burst, splits Boozer and Karolinko right through Darren. Bam! Dunks it over the top of Karolinko. Explosive finish. It was, I mean, the place explodes. I mean, you could feel that energy because you were just waiting for him. 
waiting for him to, you know, reverse layup or try to draw contact or whatever, and he just explodes and throws that thing down, and the place just erupts. And all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, it was down, right? It was down, and, and the Lakers are taking the momentum. And I, I remember Hot Rod's energy during that because uh, I've got him in my ears with my headset on. You know, here's Kobe left side, drive to the middle, right to the hoop, hammer dunk, Kobe Bryant, what a move. Oh, my goodness, Kobe Bryant. And the Laker fans are loving it. I mean, he was just, like, Hots would get pretty excited about Kobe. So he went on to score 30 points in the third quarter that night. 30 in the third. At the time, the record was George Gervin with 33 points in a quarter against the Jazz as well. Uh, He had 52 at the end of three. The shots he was hitting, hand in the face, fade away, catch and shoot three. You name it, it was going in, and the arena could just feel it. Every time the ball got in his hands, something great was about to happen. And so they, they didn't even play him in the fourth quarter because if they did, he could have easily gone for something like 70. You, you, like 70 felt like the basement with the way he was going. Um, he was that great that night. It was like a video game watching him unfairly destroy the other team who could do nothing to stop him. Potts was going crazy. Now here's Kobe for three. Yes, Kobe does it again. I cannot believe he made that shot. Kobe Bryant, and he is cooking. I mean, the crowd's going crazy. Jack Nicholson stood up to applaud him. Uh, I was glad to be there for that night. Sucks the Jazz lost. And uh, I was reporting on the Jazz locker room that night, and that was not fun. Because I remember Jerry was not happy. Matt Harpering was not happy. (laughs) It was... uh, yeah, and so in terms of being a reporter, uh, it wasn't fun. But in terms of sitting there courtside watching that, you knew you were watching a guy that was on the Rushmore of greatest players ever, ever. Um, so then I had the pleasure of covering his team's locker room for three straight years in the NBA playoffs, right? 2008, 2009, 2010. All three years, his team went to the finals, and they won it in 09 and 10. Every time I had a chance to be in that locker room, and to witness what it was like in there, it was more, I, I, I mean, it was more and more impressive. I was so impressed. It was so evident that he was the leader you needed for a championship team. It was so obvious that his personality and his mindset and his confidence and that performance ego really rubbed off on his teammates. That performance ego I talked about in that 06 game with the 52 points, he had that, but he also understood he couldn't have that same kind of ego to get the most out of his teammates. Now, you could use it performance-wise. That was good. But it was clear he had a really sound understanding of that, of the performance ego. But personal ego was perfectly in check. He never let performance ego leak into personal ego. Or at least he seemed to have the best balance of that out of any athlete I've ever seen. Ever. Now, I didn't get the chance to talk to Kobe after those playoff games because he was one of the guys at the podium. Uh, But I did get to see him talk to his teammates after the game. I saw the way he would go over stuff with them. The way they responded to him because they knew he cared for their success and the team's success. Uh, There's a video out there of Kobe talking with Pau Gasol about the timing of like a roll to the rim. It was that kind of stuff that I got the chance to see when I was in that locker room during those years. I thought it was cool then, but years later I realized just how special it actually was. But what was crazy at the time is the media here locally, many, were people who tried to portray an image of Kobe Bryant that was wildly incorrect, errant, 
and quite frankly, unfair. Uh, I remember one guy constantly referring to him as a petulant punk. That's what he referred to him as. And it was one of the reasons that the Jazz could beat them because Kobe Bryant is a petulant punk. And I felt like the reason why it was being sold to the fans here in Salt Lake City that way is because the fans wanted to believe that themselves, and so that's why it was being sold to them. But I was up close to it. I got news for you. It wasn't true. I know it wasn't because I got the chance to watch it. His personal ego was in a terrific place, it seemed to me. I didn't see everything behind the scenes. But everything I did see, it seemed that that was in the perfect place, and it was very different, uh, very different, I should say, compared to his performance ego. He's nothing like people perceived him off the court as a player and as a person. I think they had wrapped their minds into the attitude and the history of Michael Jordan, maybe, to suggest that he must have the same way of leading that Michael did. I'm guilty of that. I took on that same attitude in January of 04. That first time I uh, had a chance to, you know, cover the visiting locker room. And from what I witnessed of Kobe being up close and what I watched of Michael from the last dance, I don't think those two did lead the exact same way. Maybe they had the exact same drive. Maybe there were some similarities. But I, I, I don't get the vibe of that. Now, I'll never really know because I, I didn't cover Michael. I never even watched Michael play in person. I never covered him. I, so I don't have a reference point on Michael. But I can tell you what my thoughts were of, of Kobe, for sure. And people, I told you before, they would get so disappointed when I would tell them how great of a leader he was. When I told them he was great to deal with in the post-game interviews, on and off the mic, during those regular season meetings. You know? Feet in the ice bucket, let's go. And he would be a total pro. Sometimes they lost, and he was a pro. Sometimes they won, he was a pro. People just couldn't fathom the idea that someone could have that pure performance ego mixed with the perfect adjustment in their personal ego. But that's, that was his maturity. That was his uh, emotional intelligence. He had that like nobody else. I never told people this, but after the Lakers eliminated the Jazz in those playoff series, I wanted to see those teams win the title. I rooted for Kobe in those NBA Finals. I mean, and what I watched from him was the biggest reason why. I couldn't help but to root for him. I mean, his, his example of leadership and performance stayed in my head. I, it couldn't leave me. I tried to use it and remember it in areas of my life and career. And my guess is I've fallen woefully short of that compared to what this guy is. But, but like, let's take a second and think of the impact he had on other guys, right? Meta World Peace was a mess. You all know about the malice in the palace, right? You, you all know about some of the bizarre behaviors. Interviewing him was really strange. I'm not being mean when I say this. I wasn't sure what was really going on in that head of his. His answers to the questions were strange, to say the least. He would sit there in his locker and read the newspaper, which one time was upside down. And another time, I love this, he was reading a story about war. And his name was World Peace. I thought that was pretty crazy. But I, I remember, like, I would ask him about, I don't know, defending the pick and roll with Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer. He'd be like, man, I just, just got to play basketball, man. Just got to worry about playing basketball. Got to play basketball. Got to win, man. And he'd be like, okay, but, like, what are the key things to remember when you're defending that pick and roll with, with I just got to play basketball, man. Just got to play basketball, man. I mean, like, and you would see it in his eyes and his face that he just, 
He just wanted to go with this canned answer. I'm not saying this to bash on him. I'm just saying, like, this This was a different guy. And, and I know he's been getting help, and, you know, he's trying to always become a better person. But Kobe Bryant, with him, Meta World Peace became a critical piece to a championship team. He was a guy that made timely plays, had a big buzzer beater, hit a big three, big rebounds, big screen, right? He very much positively contributed to that team being the best in the league. And Kobe found a way to get a lot out of him. Lamar Odom, valuable part of that team's championship success. No doubt about it. Uh, if I remember right, came off the bench uh, for a while with that team and was very welcoming to that role. Uh, people forget that he went to the Dallas Mavericks afterwards and he could not get going. Still had plenty of good years left, all of that. And I thought, wow, this Mavericks thing, this could work out really well. You know, because uh, Lamar Odom, he's a good player. Rick Carlisle, one of the best coaches in the entire league. Um, you know, he's great with attention to detail and player development. Wow, I'm excited to see what Odom would do with the Mavericks. Couldn't get him going. I remember one night before a game, Rick Carlisle himself was out there on the court in front of their basket, just working with him, working with him, working with him. Rick Carlisle's out there in a T-shirt and sweatpants, bouncing the ball to him, trying like crazy to help him get going, investing all this time in him. Lamar Odom just never got going with that team. Then, we all know Lamar Odom was, what, missing for a few days, drugged out of his mind in a coma in some brothel house in Nevada, and nearly died. There's a wide gap between valuable part of a championship team and nearly dead. Kobe Bryant, when he was with him, dialed in, focused, and Kobe helped him flourish. He helped them find what was inside of them that made them the best they could absolutely be. Ed Davis talked about it back in January, uh, the day after Kobe passed, um, that when he was a member of the Lakers, he got a call from Kobe talking about how, you know, they were going to do whatever it takes to compete, to try and win a championship, and here's where they think they can be even better. And he said that Kobe genuinely believed it, even though everyone else knew that that team was headed for 30 wins at most, right? He didn't need to call Ed Davis. He's Kobe Bryant. He didn't need to act as if Davis was going to bring something over the top to the team. But Kobe did believe that there was something inside of Davis that, you know, he could help bring out. And that Kobe wasn't going to take, you know, the mentality of a ho-hum sort of season at the beginning. He was a tremendous teammate. He didn't care if he got the credit for it. He just cared about making sure that he did whatever it takes to help that team win. Everyone loves to talk positively about others in the league, and sometimes it just might be more of a token compliment. But with Kobe, it was about as real as anything I've ever witnessed. So when people think Mamba mentality, they think of him hitting shots, having a mean mug, fist pump you know, having that face where he's getting ready to defend, making clutch plays, finding a way to win, buzzer beaters. To me, the Mamba mentality was more than that. You could see that being a champion was much more than just the highlights you saw on SportsCenter the next morning. So it was about, this is what's so strange about this. It was about five days before he died I was talking about this very same thing on the air uh, during the talk show I was hosting with Austin Horton. And I don't know how we stumbled upon it. I have no idea. I can't even remember. Um, my guess is the reason, why I, uh, the reason why is because I was saying that Kobe Bryant was the best I've ever seen with a human being balancing performance ego and personal ego and knowing exactly where it fits. 
Donovan Mitchell is the closest I've seen to that out of all the athletes I've ever covered, ever. Now, I'm not saying Donovan has it to the same level as Kobe. I think Donovan's the closest I've seen since Kobe Bryant, or even during, in all the years that I've covered uh, major pro sports, college sports, all of that. I mean, I'm talking pro cyclists, you know, uh, uh, musical artists, all of it, all of it. Nobody balanced performance ego and personal ego better than Kobe. And the closest I've seen to it, like I said, is Donovan Mitchell. So we're talking about that randomly in January. And it was, yeah, it was like five days before Kobe dies. And so that following Sunday, Kobe and Gigi die in the the tragic helicopter accident. And January 26, 2020 was one of the hardest and darkest days that I'll ever remember because it was compounded, man. It landed on our youngest daughter's birthday. Our little Siobhan would have been four years old that day. So we had some stuff we were going to do that day um, to kind of try and make it a, a positive day. Whenever we have uh, uh, birthdays for the girls, we try to make it kind of a uplifting, sort of positive thing to it. And before we left, I was waiting for my wife to kind of finish up getting ready, and I'm grabbing a few other things. And I just looked at Twitter real quickly to see what was trending. And Kobe Bryant was all over the top 10 things on that list. And I remember just, you know, it was like Kobe saying, ain't so, oh no, Kobe. I just remember looking, it was like, wait, what? So I was reading through all the tweets and none of it seemed real. It just, it seemed like, all right, is this some weird, you know, rumor that got out there somehow? So I turn on the TV, they didn't have any reports of it. No official announcement. No really reputable um, reporter had anything on it anywhere. The only thing out there was a TMZ report. So suddenly, I think it was like Adrian Wojnarowski who had it on Twitter a little while after. And it was one of those, oh my goodness, this is real type of moments. And then seeing it on the bottom of the screen on the breaking news alert seemed even more surreal. I had some games DVR'd to watch because they were going to have an impact on the jazz and the standings. And I remember one of them uh, featured Denver. It was a home game for Denver. And so they went to the Pepsi Center. They did a moment of silence. I remember the PA announcer was like, rest in peace, Mamba. And they do this moment of silence. And back to the studio they go for some more comments. And then they were about to throw it back to Denver. I I remember watching this. They're like, okay, we're going to head back out to the Pepsi Center, the Denver Nuggets, and whoever they were playing. And suddenly, mid-sentence, you could tell somebody was speaking into that anchor's ear, and they go, actually, we're going to keep it right here for more on the tragic news of Kobe Bryant. Right back to conversation, right back to guests, right back to more of that. I mean, they just completely trumped all of it. Everywhere you went, it's all anybody talked about. Uh, My wife and I were out. We, We went to... A number of different places, but like on my daughter's birthday, like I said, we try to do some fun things to try and keep some positive feelings around such a special day. But everywhere we went, people were really sad. Not just a little sad, really sad. And it made us even more sad. And the fact that Gigi was a part of the crash and all of the conversations in the following days about hashtag girl dad. I'm telling you, it had me emotionally torn up. I was emotionally torn up. The day that Kobe passed was probably the darkest day that I've had since Siobhan's funeral. I mean, the day she died was tough, but, but her funeral was a very tough day. 
And I just, I can't even explain to you, like, all the emotions that were coming back, all the thoughts I was having. Nat and I went to dinner that night. We're at the restaurant. Everybody's dead silent. Everybody, waitresses, uh, hostess, other customers, long looks on their face. Everybody watching the TV, dead silence. Just the TV was on with the volume of the conversations about Kobe. And I remember... uh sitting there and thinking, you know, it was so weird. The only time I could ever remember that people were sitting there in the restaurant, everyone dead silent and everyone just watching the news and wanting to hear what was going on. No music, no nothing. I hadn't witnessed that since 9-11. That was the last time I witnessed that. I was actually a server in a restaurant. And that was the case. Like you, you kind of had to be careful. Like you were quiet. And all that was on the TV was like CNN or, you know, whatever news channel. giving you the latest information on what was happening. So it was, it was crazy that next night at the arena, the jazz play the Rockets, Utah scorching hot. I think they uh, had won like 19 out of 21. They just beat the Mavericks Saturday. Great showdown. Great win. Fans were at a fever pitch. They were clicking. And I remember one of the ushers when I got there, he said, uh, what do you think? Jazz win by 10. I said, oh, I have no idea how this is going to go. Because I think the Rockets were down some players, too. And I said, oh, I wouldn't touch this game if I was a betting man. No way. There's a variable here that just can't be measured. There's too many players that are emotionally connected to this. Coaches, there's, there's just way too much here. And you could feel the impact that the loss of Kobe had on so many people from each team throughout the league. So that night, the Rockets handed it to the Jazz, if I remember right. I know that Rockets beat the Jazz. And the feeling in the arena before the game felt hollow. The music, I remember hearing the music in the arena and thinking, gosh, the music is the music louder than it usually is? Well, it wasn't. The problem was the people in the arena were quieter. I remember thinking, is this a later arriving crowd? And then walking out there looking around? No. They were just quieter. It was a somber feeling. The feeling during the game felt somewhat the same. It was just eerie and bizarre. I remember I was actually myself feeling some anxiety the day after uh, Kobe's death and being there at the Jazz game. And some of that anxiety I had the day before, like I just told you about. So while I was getting ready to go perform as the MC and the sideline locker room reporter, I could feel the nerves that I usually don't feel. Usually I have, you know, good confidence and I'm, you know, channeled in on my game plan and how I'm going to do things. Something just didn't feel right. So Kobe Bryant, my opinion, is on the Rushmore of greatest players in the history of the game. His legacy will live on forever. I love that he made the transition into being a basketball dad all the way and that he wanted to positively have an impact on the women's game. But when people ask me what I will remember most about Kobe Bryant, it's not the points or a shot or a dunk or a comment. It's his ego. Because no champion had it more perfectly balanced between the personal and performance side of having an ego. And that was one of the greatest things that made Kobe Bryant a champion on the court, a champion as a dad, a champion as a friend to so many people, and certainly a memorable champion as a teammate to all those guys that I got a chance to witness him being around in those locker rooms. 
Thanks again for listening to the Tony Parks Podcast. I hope you enjoyed uh, this conversation today. And like I talked about before, remember about the three-on-three basketball games taking place at Farmington City, September 26th through October 24th. Your kids are going to love having the chance to play in a very safe environment while enjoying competing in the game of basketball. Uh, Sign up today, peak3on3basketball.com. That's peak3on3basketball.com. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast, by the way, uh, with Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and more. Find me on all forms of social media at Tony Parks 801. Email me, Tony Parks 801 at gmail.com. And as always, you can listen to the show right here on the Utah Podcast Network.